expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Merry Christmas and welcome to the top 10 interview moments of the year from the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm James Witham, around Merck with one arm, Nick Battaglia, going to be joining us shortly. And man, we got to talk to so many amazing people from the world of comics, television, movies, about so many great moments in the year 2016. So what we kind of do every Christmas is we run them down for you, or pick our top 10 favorites, 10 out of 70, by the way. So hey, maybe your favorites aren't going to make the cut this year. We'll have to find out. So let's kick things off with a show that we really loved this past year, ever since it debuted. And of course, that's Lucifer. We got a chance to talk to so many great people from the show, not just the showrunner Joe Henderson, but we were fortunate enough to talk to stars Leslie Ann Brandt, Tom Ellis, D.B. Woodside. So we thought we'd kind of combine this, make it kind of our kick things off with a Lucifer segment. Not only are we going to hear from Tom Ellis on the second season of Renewable, let's start off with our very first interview from Lucifer. It's going to be with showrunner Joe Henderson. And, you know, we talked about how the show wasn't really adapted straight from the comics. And I think showrunner Joe Henderson had a little bit of fun at my expense. You talk about a comic book adaptation and having somebody on your staff with that. There's always a risk anytime you stray even slightly from the source material like you have with Lucifer here. So even with Tom Ellis and his amazing performance, were you worried at all that there was going to be any backlash from the diehards? What are you talking about? We did a direct adaptation. I don't see. We've read some stuff that we think is kind of unfair. That's why I'm asking. No, no, no. Yeah, I told you. You know, we've listen. We've gotten we've gotten punched in the face a couple times, and we knew it was going to happen. Uh, when you take a beloved character, especially one written by Neil Gaiman. By the way, like I, I cut my teeth on Sandman. Like that was the comic that I stole from my brother. Oh yeah. I I wasn't able to actually buy it and I read it and I, I just devoured it. So when you're dealing with a, a beloved character uh, who the fans love from that and, the, and Mike Carey's run as well, I get it. And listen, I was one of those people who, when I first heard they were adapting it, was like, that's a terrible idea. And then I read the script and I'm like, oh, that's pretty good, but that's going to be really hard to pull off. And then I saw the pilot and I was like, oh, holy crap, they did it. They did it. <laughs> and, and that's when I signed on. Like when they when they uh, reached out to me, I was like, I, I I this show knows what it is, and it has that sense of humor that Tom Ellis brings in such an amazing way. And I think I think a lot of it is people getting over just the procedural aspect. We yeah. know I know there's a lot of procedural shows of a cop and the character who is the quirky sidekick sort of thing. I realize that that's something that some people feel is overworn. I also think it's something that we're bringing something new and fun to in a way that that entertained me like crazy in the pilot. And I think we just keep going from there on. Well, we asked ourselves when we were going to promote the finale for Lucifer coming up this Monday night on Fox. We thought, what would people desire? And I think what they would desire is to talk to Lucifer himself, Tom Ellis. Tom, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm in a very wet and gray London. <laughs> so first off Tom I just want to congrats to you and everyone else on season 2 we we're just excited to see what the season brings so where were you when you received the word that the show got renewed for season 2 I was in, I was in my kitchen in London and I think I was, I was wiping the nose of my 3 year old daughter 
So I had a snotty tissue in one hand and a text message in the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say, you'll always know where you were kind of thing. So I think that that's a pretty good image to sum up. <laughs> hey, everyone. This is D.B. Woodside from Lucifer on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, fellow nerds. The Merc with one arm, Nick Battaglia here, and I hope you're having a wonderful and safe holiday season. As James mentioned earlier on the show, we did 70 interviews in 2016. 70! It's so awesome. And so, of course, as you imagine, it would make it hard to take that 70, whittle it down to the 10 best moments in 2016 on the podcast. And one of those moments came from writer Brandon Easton, who, of course, is writing IDW's Mask comic book series. And he revealed on the show a few weeks ago his frustrations about a certain type of nerd, and it was very interesting. And actually, it involves something James and I have been talking on the show for a while. So, Brandon, you know, we mentioned Mask is this franchise. It was in the 80s. Now, I was born in 88, so I missed the boat on Mask. So, you know, here's the thing. This is a a comic series that's coming out now in 2016. There's a lot of people like myself who grew up in the 90s who didn't know what Mask was. So what kind of experience do you want to give the people like myself who are new to the franchise? That's, I mean, dude, that's a fantastic question, too. Uh, this, is a, this is a good one. I, I like this show, guys. You, you got good questions, man. Oh, Sometimes I can ask ridiculous questions. I'm like, did you really even think about this? But no, you, <laughs> this, is, this is good, man. I like this. The best way to say it is this way, right? If you watch it now as an adult, and they got the entire run on YouTube for free somewhere on YouTube. You will notice very quickly that it's not the most sophisticated cartoon. The voice acting is not great. The music's pretty cool. But when it comes down to storyline and just the general viewing experience, it's not it's not really fun to watch after a while. Like you watch three or four episodes and you pretty much got the entire run. So what I wanted to do was get the mass concept into what people are into now. So I use the Fast and the Furious franchise as an example, as an exemplar for how masks should work in the 21st century. And considering the fact that it has to fit into the Hasbro uh, universe with G.I. Joe and Transformers, I needed to come up with a thing that would make it make sense, make it logical for them to exist in that world. So we came up with this like weird little backstory, which I'm not going to reveal quite yet. But I feel that I'd like a viewer or reader who did not grow up with it, who who was not there when it first came onto the scene, I would like a person like that to not have to think about the original show too much and just concentrate on the fact that you have this multi-ethnic, technologically sophisticated strike force based on Cybertronian technology that is running around in a world where giant robots and Cobra exist so you've got to have it fit into that so i'm more concerned with the 21st century version and vision of superhero and military action than anything that came in the past so what i want people to do is divorce themselves from any ideas and any feeling of nostalgia about the 80s cartoon and look at what we have here in a lot of ways and i I hate to always use transformers but that this is a good example or even mobile suit Gundam, the Japanese, you know, super uh, giant robot franchise or mecha franchise, you know, those franchises adapt with the generations that passed, that passed, I should say. So 
early Transformers is nothing like current Transformers, right, you know, in right. terms of the new cartoons. And same thing with Mobile Suit Gundam. The original Gundam storyline is still around, but even visually and dynamically, there are things about it that can't be like it was in 1979 or 1983 when in 84, 85, when all the different Gundam series were on in, in the original timeline. So I feel that Mask is pretty much the same thing. I don't want like Mask doesn't have that impact where people would sit there and get mad because you changed something. Right. And there, and there were a couple people who didn't like the changes I made. But there are a lot of folks who have a passing familiarity with it who are like, wow, I never thought this would work in the 21st century, you know? So I've liked those reviews and those are the people I think are getting what I'm doing. I feel that after a few issues go by, some of the people who are complaining about the fact that it's not like the eighties cartoon will understand that if I did it like the eighties cartoon, I don't think it would be successful at all. And I think that readers, and here's the other problem, and this is something that I talk about ad nauseum and on my podcast, is that we are living in an extremely entitled fan age in the sense that fans nowadays have everything they've ever wanted, anytime they ever want it, anywhere they ever want it. Like when I was a kid and I grew up in the 80s, I was born in the 70s, I didn't have any of this stuff. Like right. if I wanted to watch anything, I had to wait till it came on. And that was it. Like, you, there was no DVR. There was no streaming. I mean, that wasn't even a thing that I could even conceive of back in 84, 85. Right. And, and, and know, even in the 90s, you know, when I was growing yeah. up, we had the VH. If we missed the show, we had the VHS tapes that had, like, two episodes per right. tape on it, you know? <laughs> that cost $35. Right. Exactly. <laughs> at Suncoast Sun Video. Yeah, you, oh. and I, you and I are about the same age, Brandon. And, yeah, it was hell. It was right. hell. But see, the thing is, we didn't have anything to compare it to. You know, right, so, exactly. now, so now I look at all these whining, angry, fan, entitled, cynical, mean-spirited fanboys online, and I'm like, what are you whining about? Like, if you don't like all the stuff that's out there, there's something wrong. Like, if you don't like this one thing, there's like 15,000 things that we ha- that you haven't right, seen. Right. And I'm not <laughs> kidding. It's literally 15,000 different properties and TV shows and cartoons. And, I mean, you, you could literally – and I, I, I wouldn't suggest this, but you could, you could get a life sentence in prison and never watch the same thing twice. That's true. That is absolutely <laughs> true. Like, like, you could be, like, if you get a 50-year sentence, let's say, you could literally watch something new every day, all day, all the way up to the time either you died or you got paroled. Right. And it's, like, it's, like, he, it's like Netflix and Serve. I mean, I mean seriously, like... When I look at Netflix, right, first of all, I just look at the stuff that's on TV that I like. There's at least, and I'm not kidding, like nearly 30 shows that I would like to watch regularly. But there's no way. And this is just broadcast and cable. I'm not even talking about streaming. Like there's like 30 shows that I would love to be able to sit down and enjoy. But the realities of life mean that I can't do that. Right. So I am very grateful for the age that we live in that if I want to watch Arrow – and I'm on a plane, 35,000 feet in the air. I can watch Arrow yep. for the entire flight. Or I could watch Mobile Suit Gundam. Or I could watch Transformers Combiner Wars. Or I could watch uh, How to Get Away with Murder. I mean, there's all these things I could do and never be upset or complaining. So I feel that right now I'd like mass fans, particularly the old school mass fans, to give it a chance 
and take and, and, and back off of the nostalgia a little bit and realize that a lot of us, particularly children of the 80s, look back at the 80s through rose-colored glasses because there was a lot of stuff that we think is cool that is nowhere near as cool as... as oh, we, yes! Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah! Yes. You know what I mean? So when you look at it from that perspective, I feel that some mass fans look at the show and think, oh, it was this incredible thing. And I'm like, all right, if you really think that, go on YouTube or go anywhere and yeah. watch the first five, six episodes of Mass and tell me if a 35-year-old man could watch that in yeah. public and not put his hands in his uh, lap, put his head in his lap. Because no. I I tried watching it, and I, and I was at home alone, and I felt embarrassed. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't watch this anymore. This is Riddle, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hope you're enjoying our best interview moments of 2016. So let's kind of keep it going. And one of the experiences that Nick and I get to have this year was heading out to Awesome Con in Washington, D.C. We had a blast talking to so many con goers and seeing so many panels. I'll never forget John Barrowman's panel, I think, for as long as I live. Listen to our Awesome Con recap show and find out all about that. But one of the favorite moments that Nick and I had of the year, and actually, I think he would even say since we've started the show, is when we got to talk to the voice of Mario himself, Charles Martinet. And let me tell you, this moment that he gave us was so unbelievable, Nick and I were almost at a loss for words. Listen for yourself. Live from Awesome Con 2016 in Washington, D.C., I gotta tell you, one of the people I was looking forward to seeing the most when we came here, the voice of Mario. How can you not want to talk to the voice of Mario, Charles Marinette? Thank you so much for chatting with us. How you doing? Hello, everybody. It's me, Mario. Woohoo! Mamma mia! You guys, you're number one. Yahoo! I want to cry. <laughs> no way that just happened. It just actually. So back when Mario was first coming to the thing, what was that process like? Did Nintendo contact you? Did you try out for the voice of Mario? I actually crashed an audition 25, almost 26 wow. years ago. Wow! Absolutely not invited. I, well, I walked in. I said, can I read for this? And the guy looked at his watch and looked at me. He goes, oh, all right. Come on in. You're an Italian plumber from Brooklyn. Make up a voice. Make up a video game. <laughs> it's for a real-time animation system. We don't know if it's going to work or not, but you still got to talk to people all day. So make it up. And when you run out of things to say, that's your audition. And I never ran out of things to say. This is Shay Fontana, writer for DC Superhero Girl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. When it came to getting voice actors on the show, 2016 was just a huge year. As you just heard, we had the voice of Super Mario, Charles Martinet, on the show back at Awesome Con when we were there in D.C. in June. And we also had the voice of his blue rival, that's right, Sonic the Hedgehog, Roger Craig Smith, was on the show. And, you know, Roger also does anime. He was in Naruto. He does voices for Bleach. And he talked about what it's like voicing a character and what the anime process is like. For people who might not know, you actually also voice characters for Bleach and Naruto. What is it about those shows and their styles of storytelling and animation that you just love the most? You know, probably the complexity of the stories, I guess. Um, I'm always amazed with anime at, at how they just, they're so detail-oriented on so many things, it's incredible. Um, and and, and the, these are very, sometimes very convoluted um, and very uh, complex storylines. So it's just incredible to be a part of, of something like that. And, and for, for us as actors, 
very often with anime because it's already been done, you know, in Japanese, um, and we're stepping in to kind of, you know, do the, do the localization of it. We don't have all the context, and, and a lot of people don't realize just how quick and down and dirty, you know, an anime voiceover session can go. It, it, sometimes you're coming in to play a character you've played in the past. Sometimes you're coming in and you don't even know what you're going, going to be doing once you get in the booth. And the, direct, the director will basically say, look, you're, you know, you're a 24-year-old uh, young man who's a member of the Hidden Leaf you know, Ninja Village, and you're out to avenge your father's death, and your first loop is at line 287, and you turn to you know, loop 287, and the line is, you know, no! And so you just go, okay, well, how do we want this guy to sound? And it's like, you know, uh, uh, no. And they go, oh, too old. You're like, no! Too, too not tough enough. Like, no! And they go, yeah, that's it. That's the guy. And then it's boop. No, and they go cool. Moving on, your next loop is at three hundred one. You're like, okay, I've I've established a character, and it's just like you're off and running. <laughs> so it's you know it, it's it's a it's a fun thing for as an actor because you're just you're sort of like throwing a bunch of different stuff against the wall and seeing how you know seeing what sticks. You, you see it all assembled after the fact and just go, man, I had no idea that there there was the the depth of story in these things, and and they have just such a a rich history um, and a huge fan base in, as far as the manga goes. That it's like you know to be a part of that in the anime form is really cool. Hi, I'm Court Lane, VP of Animation Development at Marvel, and I'm listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. So many great moments from 2016, and that's what we do every Christmas. We count them down for you, our top 10 favorite interview moments. I'm James Witham, and I gotta tell you, this one, I love Blindspot. I don't know how you guys feel about the show. We've talked about it many times, just how amazing it is in the storytelling for each individual character, not just the main characters. A lot of shows focus on just the main characters a lot, but you get so much in-depth storytelling with every character. And we got to talk to Tasha Zapata herself, Audrey Esparza earlier on this year, and she was talking about a moment from the Season 2 premiere and let's just say she didn't hold anything back, not just in the scene, but when she talked to us about it. We're talking to Audrey Esparza, of course, who plays Zapata now. One scene that we can't forget was something that Zapata does to Jane as she's getting ready to go undercover. And she was all too yes. willing to do it. So talk about that scene a little bit and why she made the decision to step up, and so quickly, by the way. Sure. I mean, I read, I read it, and I was like... Oh, damn. <laughs> 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 uh, what, what happens is um, Jane is going undercover with the FBI. Can I talk about this? Is this cool? Has everybody seen this show? I think it's already aired, so I think, I think we're good. So, hey, just okay, in case, we're all good. spoiler warning, just in case. Spoiler. Uh, spoiler, Jane goes undercover, or needs to go undercover to rejoin Sandstorm, which is the team that her and Oscar are from. She, she's worried that she's not, she doesn't look injured enough to be believable and is basically asking somebody to shoot her. There's a back and forth with the team and Tasha stands up and um, fucking shoots her. That <laughs> 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 goes perfectly with the what, face that she makes. What too. I can say from reading it was she asked for it both figuratively and literally. Listen, um, Tasha is uh, an FBI agent tried and true, but um, she also feels that James is very responsible for Mayfair's death. So I don't know if you want to, if, if you get a chance to willingly, if, if somebody you don't like is asking you to punch him in the face, 
Tasha's the kind of girl that would take the punch, so she did. <laughs> the that you were making when you shot her, like that was just like we, yeah. James and I looked at each other. And we were watching the, the the season two premiere, and we're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never felt so cool in my life. Hi, this is Martin Garrow, creator and executive producer of Blind Spot, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hope you're all enjoying our best of interview moments 2016. I'm the Merc with one arm, Nick Bataglin, as we continue to count down our top 10 moments of the year. One of the biggest crossover events in all of comics this year had to easily be IDW's Revolution series, which of course involved the Hasbro universe going to war. We're talking about G.I. Joe. We're talking about ROM, Micronauts, Mask, and of course, Transformers. And of course, we had Cullen Bond and John Barber, who were the writers on the show, as well as artist Fico Asio. And when it came time for us to decide whose side we're on, Colin took a little bit of an issue with who I chose. If you guys were just the ordinary citizens that were kind of in this world, and you're seeing all this stuff unfold in front of you, I mean, who do you think you would trust and support in the conflict? I mean, even if you did have all the information. I feel like you're asking us some sort of generational question. Like, you know, the the, the, the old fogies are going to be like, oh, G.I. Joe. <laughs> the, the younger generation are all about the Transformers. Uh, and uh, and it's just, gonna, you know, it's, it's just a generational breakdown. <laughs> that's that, that's, that's two-year difference between when they came out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably, I, I mean, if I had to choose, I'd probably be like, because Rom is just one of those guys where like he has a, has like his his thing, and I, I would be kind of like on Rom's kind of side there a little bit, and, and maybe on the side of Transformers as well. Yeah, young guy right there. Yeah, and, and the only problem, and the only problem with Rom is if you're reading the ongoing series, they basically think he's just randomly murdering people. <laughs> so you're right, kind of hard to get behind that guy, but. Good job cheering for a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Colin, we've known each other for a little while here. I'm, you know, I'm pretty sadistic. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and then you've got the Joes doing the shoot first, ask questions later thing. Right. You know, there's, you know, there's not a whole lot of trust there going on. Well, you know, I, I do think it's, you know, all joking aside, I think it's it's interesting because I think all of these character groups have made mistakes and they're trying to do what they think is right but there are mistakes there you know there are mistakes made along the way that uh you know people are answering for now this is writer greg pock and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast wherever you are i hope you're having a merry christmas with your nerd friends and family and thanks for helping us count down our top 10 favorite interview moments of 2016 i'm james with of course you've been hearing from our merc with one arm nick Bataglia as well and it was really cool to get a chance to talk to Chloe Bennett this year from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who, of course, plays Daisy and Quake, whatever you want to call her. They had such an emotional season last season, especially in the finale with everything that happened with Hive or Ward or whatever you want to call him and then Lincoln. Well, we got to talk to her not just about that and how she felt watching the finale or getting ready to go watch the finale with the cast, but Nick also asked her a very interesting question about, remember the Hive town that they had, if she could open up a business there? Yeah, just listen to what she says, because both of these, it almost kind of runs the emotional spectrum of, of the laughing and the crying. And I love that you mentioned just how dark the season has been so far, especially these last few episodes, because since being infested by Hive, we've seen Daisy become more unchained and just brutal when it comes to how she uses her powers, you know, from bringing down the shield base to her beatdown of Mac, which literally, 
Chloe almost had me in tears. That's that scene between Daisy and Mac. So what has it been like for you personally to show that side of her while at the same time knowing you're also revealing the various depths of her powers? When we when when Henry and I shot that scene, we both actually just started crying. I mean, like I well, I was I was getting really emotional Aww. while doing it because I I as as Daisy, you know, felt like you know it's it's weird being under sway because it's like being roof it's like it's like being inhuman roofied in a way you know you're under <laughs> drugs without you. Without you knowing, but you're on it and you love it because it's like, you know, it's like a heroin where it's great when it's on it, but it's not, it's not your, you weren't put under it by choice. So she, she thinks that what she's feeling is, is totally valid. But I think when I was playing that scene, there was clearly something inside, deep inside of me that didn't, uh, didn't feel like that was right. Like physically, I almost was like revolting against even, you know, doing what I was doing while I was, you know, beating him up. So I started crying while doing it, and then Henry started tearing up, and then, like, after we cut, we both were like, <laughs> like, we couldn't stop crying for a second, which was, because uh, <laughs> it was pretty emotional for us. Like, we had our, it was a, it was a, it was a long night. Also, that fight sequence was, like, added literally right before we did it. So I'm, like, already emotional and, like, everything's like, okay, so we're going to add a fight sequence now. So you're going to do this oh, and you're wow. going to do that. And so it was, it was pretty technical. And technical, emotional stuff is definitely the hardest to film. So that was not easy. You know, something that's a big step in just adulthood is, of course, buying property and buying land. Of course, as we all know, Hive has bought an, his own town where he and his army of Inhumans live. So here's a question for you. If you could own and operate a business in that town, what would it be and why? Oh, God. Ooh, this is a fun question. I'd probably own a bakery. <laughs> um, <laughs> what would it be called? Because I love cake. <laughs> oh, it could be a cute little name. It could be like, uh, well, that's not really original. I'd be- Oh, oh, a quakery. Oh, <laughs> yes! Yes! Killing it! Killing it! Yes! Um, yeah, it would be called the quakery, right? Like, that's amazing. You know, cake, it'd be so fun. Axel, who plays James, would definitely be the bar owner. Lincoln could be the electric shop, you know, all the technology, electronics. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth would be the doctor. It would be such a fun... Why can't we all just live there? I just do that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picturing you, like, you know, like, using your powers to, like, levitate a cake out of the oven and, like, here you go. And it's just... It just seems like a happy place, you know? And who needs a mixer, oh, yeah. right? Well, because... Well, Lincoln... Lincoln could help me. He could, like, bake them really quickly. He could be like... And they would just bake. He's just got, like, an easy-bake oven. He can just power it with his electric the powers. easy-bake oven ever. <laughs> yeah, it would be so great. It's just creepy though. A hive creeps me out. Like I don't like, I don't like Brett when he plays hive. I don't like. I didn't love shooting any of those scenes to be honest. Like I didn't. It, it was it was just so creepy to me that I just was like I was like skeeved out by it during during shooting. And he's like, "Calm down, it's not me." I'm like, "I know, I know, but you're so creepy. You're so creepy right now." So it just. It's funny to, you know, when I think about that ta- town, I think about um, being just, like, really creeped out by Brett. <laughs> <laughs> this is Luke Mitchell from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
As 2016 gets ready to come to a close, James and I look back at our top 10 interview moments of the year. And as you know, we went to Awesome Con in Washington, D.C. over the summer. Among the many guests James and I got to talk to, of course, Charles Martinet being one of them, we also got to travel to Gotham City. That's right. We got to talk to the Penguin himself, Robin Lord Taylor. And James, you know, he was coming off his birthday weekend. Well, it turned out that that Saturday we were there at Awesome Con. It was Robin's birthday as well, and you know James actually asked for a couple of tips from Robin in terms of getting older. We're at Awesome Con 2016 live for day two, and we just happen to be sitting down with a guy who first we have to say happy birthday to Oswald himself, Robin Lord Taylor. <laughs> Thank How you, you doing, so man? much, guys. I'm really good. Thank you. Thank you for the the birthday wishes. So what's Awesome Con been like for you, Robin, so far? It's been awesome. <laughs> I know. Everyone, <laughs> honestly, everyone must be saying that. My friend Liam was saying earlier, he was like, it's like I'm really trying to refrain from using the word awesome while we're here because it sounds like I'm making a joke every time I say it. But yeah, no, it's been it's been great. Yeah. I can wait to spend a birthday, too. As a matter of fact, I just found out that you're a year older than I am. Yeah, right. So, I mean, you look great, man. What am I doing wrong here? <laughs> you look fantastic. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Hey, this is B.B. Wong from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So sad. We're almost to the end of our best interview moments of 2016. But this one, I think, is one of Nick and I's favorites. We got to talk to Casper Crump, who played Vandal Savage on DC's Legends of Tomorrow in Season 1. And not only was it interesting, because when we first saw him, how much he looked like Vandal Savage, it was crazy. So we didn't just ask him about that, but there was something very interesting about his audition that he sent in that we thought was hilarious. Listen for yourself. When you were first cast as Vangel Savage, I think Nick and I were both kind of blown away at how much you actually resemble the character from the comics. Were you actually aware of that when you went to the audition? When I went to the audition, yeah. But before that, I must admit, I heard the name, but I hadn't much of a sort of a recollection of uh, Vandal Savage as a character. So I was like, I always go in and I research my, when I, you know, set up for an audition, I go in and research what I can get from the net. And the first thing I looked at was like, oh my God, he fucking looks like me. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, that never happens. It's like, all right, we're casting this. We want him to be like blonde and and a bit overweight. And I'm like, okay, that, that probably can't be me. So when I saw Vandal Savage with the long, like, dark hair and a beard, I was like, all right, this can actually work out. I I don't even have to have a talent. I look like this. (laughs) (laughs) But I have tried to to combine the both, put in a little, you know, bit of talent and the looks as well. So I was excited. I was excited. And, of course, when I did the uh, audition, I kind of, you know, let my hair loose and uh, I took on a... I put on like a blazer, like a, you know, with sharp um, shoulders and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of to make him look a little bit majestic or uh, what would you say, like, uh, you know, royal or something like a yeah. little bit uh, Vandal Savage-ish. And uh, I did a self-tape in my apartment and the guy who was supposed to like shoot uh, the audition on the camera, he, he, he bailed on me. So I called up my my neighbor and he had never done anything like that he was like all right so just press play and all right you know and we shot it and it was one of those where i was kind of like this is not working out let's just forget about it and i did like two or three takes and there was like a 
a Spanish orchestra outside of my window. I don't know why. Maybe it was a wedding or something. So all the way through the uh, audition, there was like a... (laughs) 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 This is never going to work. Never going to work. Oh, my gosh. I sent it over, and a couple of days later, they were like, all right, you got the part, man. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's probably because of all that music. Like, he's so culturally... You know, I, into things. So yeah, yeah. they were so entertained by the music that you got it. <laughs> exactly. So, but that was uh, yeah. It it was one of those. It was a it was a good time. Hi, this is Sierra Nay, and I play Hot Girl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's the Murph with one arm, Nick Battaglia, with our final top ten interview moment of 2016 here on the Down Nerdy Podcast, and it comes courtesy of writer Van Jensen, who of course is the writer of Dark Horse's Cryptocracy. And when he joined us to talk about the series, he talked about a very interesting competition he and writer Robert Venditti have with one another. A character in the book that I mainly fell in love with, I actually found really hilarious, is Jason the Bugbear. Now, what is it about animals that make them just great partners? And in Jason's case, someone who can break that tension with a comedic moment or just whether it's calling somebody a name or just being comedic in general. Yeah, I mean, I I had had the idea, you know, very early on about having this sidekick that's a, a bugbear. And I mean, part of it is it's just like bugbear is a funny word. He's just like a giant bear. I try to always find like a secondary character to just be the like super fun character where I really like don't don't get too bogged down and like, oh, I need to do this beat or this, you know, character building moment. It's just like, this character is just going to be really fun and really funny and like bringing that energy. And like, I had a lot of fun writing the flash with, um, Girder, like out of nowhere. It was like, Oh, Girder's a character that I really want to have a lot of fun with. Mm-hmm. And, and Jason, Jason was totally that way. And I don't know. I mean, just like a giant werewolf looking dude who's super, super foul mouthed, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It was great. And he, he actually like some of his insults. I, I went and looked on message boards and found the worst insults <laughs> that people had written about me. <laughs> and, and he used those for lines of dialogue. So there's like at one point he, he refers oh to Graham as being 100% pure taint, uh, <laughs> which is verbatim. Uh, what someone Wait a called second. me on the internet. Wait, somebody called you that on a message board. <laughs> yeah, I think it was on like the CBR forums. Oh my god! Yeah, it was great. That was like one of the most fun days I've ever had as a writer. Just like looking through these, you know, vitriolic oh posts about my writing. Oh, so you legit fed the trolls, fan? Is that what you're telling us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, we've had some eye-opening conspiracy theory talk in this interview. That might be that might be the most eye-opening one of all. That may be the greatest detail about this book. Because <laughs> never, oh yeah. well, never have you had a writer say, I got inspiration for a certain character by seeing going on message boards and seeing the shit that was written about me. You know, like that's that's some inspiration right there. And then seeing it and saying, you know what? Screw it. That's in the book. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, the way I look at it is, I mean, I'm doing the job that I dreamed of doing when I was like four or five years old, right? right. So, how can I not have fun with it? Oh, and, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. people, 
people are going to get mad about whatever thing and it's just, it's going to happen and you can't, you know, you can't do anything about it. Like people will get upset and, and spew stuff and whatever. Like it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't change who I am as a person. Like if I can have some fun out of it, then, you know, awesome. Were you ever like looking at the forums and like, only like waving your friend or your parents or whomever over like, look at this, look what somebody said. How funny is this? Well, the big thing is, uh, so, you know, Rob and Diddy and I covered the flash and then we worked on the green lantern books at the same time. And he and I've been friends for years and years and years. And so we would always like make a game of it to see like, what's the worst thing that, you know, that we, and it's like, Oh, well look at what this person said about me. Like, Oh yeah. Well, this person said this. So, oh, Rob, yeah. Rob, Rob didn't tell us about that little game. We talked to him not too long ago. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you can dig into that on the repeat interview. He actually, yeah, he, he might have saved, some of his best ones. So he could probably do like a dramatic reading of, oh, of yes. web insults. Yes. We're asking him about that next time we talk to him for sure. Hey, this is Robert Venditti and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast. As our best of 2016 show comes to a close, I just want to thank a bunch of people starting off of course with all of our guests who came on the show this year and just gave us so many wonderful and memorable moments. Thank you for taking so much time out of your busy schedule to just be on our show and give us great entertainment, give our listeners wonderful information and entertainment as well. Thank you to all the publishers. Thank you to the movie studios. Thank you so much to all the PR firms. And also just thank you to the TV networks as well for helping us get these things situated as well and getting these things put together. Without you, this wouldn't be possible. Also, without you, the fans and the listeners, this wouldn't be possible as well. Thank you for so much for listening to us throughout the year. We, our listenership is growing each and every week, and it's just been wonderful going to year three. We're excited, James and I are, about what year three is going to bring in 2017. Who's going to be on the show? We don't know, but hey, guess what? we got some things in the pipeline we're working right now, some surprises coming your way. But hey, if you want some awesome things we do every day, and not just on Fridays when we release the shows... Be sure to hit us up on our website, downnerdypodcast.com. That's where we have our written reviews James and I do for comics that came out during the week as well. Two, there are actually two reviews we do each week, and they're on comics that we did not do on the show. So you get four reviews every week. How awesome is that? You also get quick links to our Twitter and to our Facebook accounts. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash downandnerdy. You can also like us on Twitter at downandnerdy757. I'm at Merck with one arm on Twitter. As well as on Instagram, you can find James at jamesacewitham on Twitter. Again, just thank you to everybody for making 2016 such a memorable and awesome year for us. We can't wait to see what next year brings. And as always, press safe comic book reading. Always bag on board your comics. Have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays.